hello and welcome to the Informed Traveler podcast, part of the Informed Traveler radio show heard each week on Chorus Radio. It's a travel podcast where our goal is to help you become a more informed traveler. And I'm your host, Randy Sharman. So on last week's podcast, I misspoke when we were talking about COVID testing requirements needed when entering Canada by air. I said that beginning August 9th, the PCR test was no longer required upon entry into Canada. That is incorrect. So in a few moments, we're going to get our resident travel agent, Ken Stewart from Crowfoot Travel Solutions in here. And we're going to review all the COVID testing rules you need to follow upon arriving into Canada. Also, on this week's podcast, we'll check in with the charming inns and small hotels of Alberta, see how their summer's going. And later in the show, Heritage Park in Calgary has their railway days coming up on August the 7th. So I'll share my visit to the park last week where I sat down with Chief Engineer at Heritage Park, Ben Brown. He's the guy that oversees all the trains. So I'll share that conversation with you. But like I said, we're going to start our podcast this week talking about the COVID testing requirements needed when entering Canada by air. I incorrectly mentioned last week that beginning August 9th, the PCR test was no longer required upon entry into Canada. Well, that was incorrect. So we've got our resident travel agent, Ken Stewart, in here now, and we're going to review all the COVID testing rules that you need to follow upon arriving into Canada. Good day, sir. Uh, Good day, Randy. Good day, everybody. Let's review these uh, COVID-19 rules for entering Canada. And just for this segment, we are talking about air travel. I guess what the, to, to start, it's the Arrive Can app. That's part of it, right? That's a big part that, of it. That's a huge part of it. And and like I say, some days I'm still confused and we have conversations back and forth in the office to make sure we're we're understanding everything correctly. But yeah, no, it's it's getting a lot easier to come, come into Canada for sure. So, you know, depending on where you're coming from, whether it's the U.S. or internationally from Europe or, or Asia or anything like that, uh, the biggest thing, uh, as you say, is the Arrive Can app, filling that out with uh, within 48 hours before you arrive, and you can upload your documents and everything to that to make it a lot easier when you arrive. But you do need that uh, PCR test, not an antigen or the NAT or anything, a PCR test, and it has to be uh, done within 72 hours of your arrival time in Canada. So even if you're connecting, that's okay, but it's your arrival time, first time you're landing in Canada at one of the four airports. You want to make sure you have that PCR test. So it's the first arrival. If I'm, say, I don't know, connecting in Toronto to come back to Edmonton or Calgary, it's when I arrive in Toronto, right? Correct. You got it. You got it. Yeah, no, you have to have that within 72 hours of that. Then gets into the, uh, depending on if you're fully vaccinated or unvaccinated. It's the unvaccinated that we're still having a little bit of confusion on some days. Mm-hmm. Uh, starting August 9th, again, there'll be random tests given to you to take when you get home. Uh, and uh, for the unvaccinated, you have to have a quarantine plan. And I'll ask you all of that on the RiveCan app. And the border uh, agents will also uh, give you some information and plan on doing that when you get back to your to your home. So again, with the hotel and everything gone, you're allowed to connect and continue on to your destination, but you will be required to port for the 14 day quarantine still if you're unvaccinated. Fully. Okay, so now just to review, if you're fully vaccinated and uh, you're arriving after August 9th, you still need that PCR test of uh, 72 hours before you arrive in your first destination in Canada, and you're probably going to need to get on the plane anyways. Exactly. And uh, when you, you do off. arrive, you don't, necess- you don't have to um, quarantine anymore for vo- fully nope. vaccinated people. This is nope. after August 9th. 
but you may be at random chosen to do a, um, a test, a, a, a rapid test or whatever. A rapid test, yep. Uh, and it will be done for the uh, province that you're arriving in. So, uh, for example, two weeks ago we had clients who were coming back from the U.S. connecting through Vancouver. Mm-hmm. They were given the test in Vancouver. They had to send the results back to Vancouver. Oh, okay. FedEx and had to wait until they got the test results. Mm-hmm. So technically you're kind of quarantine or isolating until you get those test results. Uh, and again, really check the countries as well, too, because not just getting into Canada, but if you're traveling and you're connecting through another one, uh, I know right now London Heathrow, for example, uh, we had one of your listeners mm-hmm. who emailed us or whatever coming back from Ireland, and uh, a lot of the countries uh, have definitions of what they accept for fully vaccinated as well as have transit requirements uh, for testing and everything, too, even though you're transiting. For example, like if you're going down in the U.S., you still have to have a test. It could be an antigen or a PCR test, but the country you're arriving in, if you're connecting through the U.S. going forward uh, over to Europe, they may require a PCR test at the other end, so the antigen one wouldn't work. <laughs> My head is spinning. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Talk to your local travel agent, Google it, ask questions. Yes. It, it is still a little bit confusing, but but overall, you just want to make sure that you have... You know, wherever you're touching down in that plane, you want to make sure you're aware of what the requirements are for that particular location. For sure. And if you're traveling with children under 12 that can't get vaccinated, another change coming August 9th, the family does not have to quarantine uh, or, or anything like that, right? Nope. Nope. You are correct. But anybody uh, five years of age or older does have to have that COVID PCR test. They still have to have the PCR test, no matter who. They still have to have. Uh, are, are you are you hearing about any people having troubles getting that PCR test if they're in a foreign country, for example, uh, or, or most no. resorts and hotels wherever you're staying, they're pretty good at getting you one. They're really really good. We saw some uh, posts. Uh, France is doing the free COVID PCR tests uh, for people. Like I say, my clients that have been down in the U.S. Uh, didn't have any issues. Uh, one went to a CVS, another one went to an actual health clinic, was able to get the tests. Uh, again, uh, a lot of the airports now are starting to do them as well. Uh, I know I've got a client going down here. Uh, uh, actually, he's down there right now, and he'll be coming back uh, tomorrow. And he's actually getting the test done right at the airport in uh, California because uh, they offer both the 24-hour and a one-hour option. And it's still a PCR test? It's a PCR test, yep, to get oh. back into Canada. Yep. Cool. Well, thanks for the advice. Ken Stewart, Crowfoot Travel Solutions. Thank you, Randy. Well, since the border to the U.S. remains closed to Canadians and international travel is still on the back burner for many people, a quick getaway close to home this summer might be a good option. And that's what the folks at the charming inns and small hotels of Alberta are hoping for, at least. They offer a number of options across Alberta, and here to tell us more about them is Lonnie Middleton. He's the past president of Charming Inns and Small Hotels of Alberta and owner of a Bear and Bison Inn in Canmore. The website is charminginsofalberta.com. Hi, Lonnie. Hey, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Tell me about the group Charming Inns and Small Hotels of Alberta and how it came together. You know, this is a really interesting, eclectic group of uh, individual properties from around Alberta. And uh, about 20, 22 years ago, it got started over some beers (laughs) and some help from Charming, uh, sorry, some help from Travel Alberta. And um, 
it's sort of a real Albertan story, you know, a couple of owners, one of them had a motorcycle doing a road trip across Alberta, found another property that he really liked. A few beers later, they're like, Hey, you know, we should, we should do something together. And, you know, again, with a little help from travel Alberta, they, they, they got started with, I think, about six inns, you know, uh, Drumheller, Hinton, Waterton, Canmore, Edmonton, Calgary. And uh, now, um, you know, the membership has grown to about uh, 13, 14 hotels mm-hmm. um, scattered around the province. And what's interesting is they're, they're, they're not really hotels. They're inns. And people are always asking, what's the difference between an inn and a hotel? And you know, I, I guess you could look up the, uh, you know, the proper def- definition online. Mm-hmm. But the way I define it is, you know, something that's unique. It's it's not um, a cookie cutter production hotel. And it's funny because I think there's a place for those hotels, but there's also a place for unique, charming, get to meet the owner, get to meet the staff. And that's, I think, the real draw to Charming Inns of Alberta. And thus the name Charming Inns of Alberta, because they are a, a different uh, sort of group. Like, And I think it's a great idea, you know, strength in numbers. And if you go on the website, charminginsofalberta.com, there's different types of experiences. You've broken it down. And really, if you wanted to do a tour throughout Alberta, just about you could cover just about the whole province by staying at uh, all these places, right? Yeah, it, it, it's really fun. I mean... Alberta is a fairly new province compared to, say, Ontario or Quebec. And, um, you know, there's, there's, there's a different culture here. And I think people are looking for that uh, unique individual kind of experience. And, uh, you know, some of the properties are off the beaten track. And especially during current times, people are looking for that. They, they want different. Mm-hmm. They want to go explore and find that different place and um you know if you if you go around the corner there we are (laughs) well how much of an impact has the lack of international visitors particularly from the u.s had on you so far and i guess the flip side is uh for uh local people the chance now because there's probably a little more space available yeah i mean um International travelers in, in my my situation, they help our, our local market and, you know, they, they, they fill up, you know, the occupancy, they push up the rate a little bit. But I'm, I always tend to be uh, mostly filled with Albertans, mm, which, which is really nice. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they're great people. Canadians are polite and, uh, you know, so nice. And um, it, it's one of the funnest part of our jobs. And, it's funny how we're, we're, you know, a country that's very large and, and our population is growing. But, you know, you're, you're checking people out, checking people in. Where are you from? And, oh, yeah, you know, my, oh, my brother lives in that. Oh, do you know so-and-so? And <laughs> I'm still surprised how much that happened. And, and that, that's one of the joys of being an operator, for uh-huh. sure. Well, let's talk about some of the inns, the charming inns of Alberta. Uh, like I said, you can literally almost tour the whole province by staying at uh, one or two or all of the uh, charming inns of Alberta. Let's, let's start up in the northern area, the Jasper area, some of the, the resorts up there. Oh, the Overlander Mountain Lodge is one of my, uh, my favorite uh, charming inns. And it's owned by um, actually one of the founding members, Garth Griffin. 
And an interesting story about the Overlander Lodge is my, uh, I'm a chef by trade and my, my first chef, um, who, who trained me, he came over from England to be the chef at the Overlander in about 1975 or something like that. It's just funny that he, he had all these great stories and we, you know, we used to drive by the Overlander on our way to Edmonton from Jasper. I used to work in Jasper at the time. And, um, it, it was just, so interesting and intriguing, you know, that he came all the way over from England to work at this Overlander Mountain Lodge. And and now it's it's funny for me to sit at the table with the owner of the mountain, <laughs> you know, Overlander Mountain Lodge and, and be one of the uh, one of the owners of the you know, the group. Mm-hmm. And and it's 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 fun. It, it's kind of you know, it's it's part of life, you know, coming in full circle. Mm-hmm. And uh so Overlander Lodge has a special place in my heart for sure. Uh, Rocky Mountain House area, there's uh, a few places, and then uh, Drumheller. Prairie Heller. Creek Inn, yeah. Uh, Prairie Creek Inn is amazing. And it's funny, they're, um, at the Prairie Creek Inn, they have a, a beautiful restaurant there. The food is really good. And a former colleague of mine, uh, and here I go, you know, it's a small, small province. A former colleague of mine used to be the chef there, and, and we used to work together at the Banff Springs Hotel for a few years in the kitchen. And uh, every time I'd go there, I'd, I'd stop into the kitchen and, hey, chef, hey, Lonnie, how are you doing? <laughs> and yeah, you could, beautiful property. And you can travel eastward a little bit and stay in the central part of the province in Drumheller? Yeah, Drumheller is a really classic uh, property in in. Um, Heartwood Inns and Spa in, in Drumheller. It's it's run by uh, Zeke and um, uh, Patrice, and and what a couple! And you know they care so much about their property. And um, what I like about Zeke is you never know what kind of humor you're going to get. He <laughs> he's he's got the humor area covered. He's a great host. Well, like I said, we're not going to get to all of the uh, places, but let's uh, scoot down to Waterton because I think that's a beautiful area of the province. Oh, Waterton is beautiful, and um, I'm I'm really excited. First of all, there's the Crandall Mountain Lodge down there, mm-hmm. and I mean it's a, it's a classic example of a charming inn of Alberta. And right across the street was the Kilmory Lodge, which burned down. Oh, uh, quite a number of years ago, um, and they are rebuilding, and I'm not sure when they're expected to open it anytime soon, I think. But I'm really excited to see what they have come up with. I know they've had to work really closely with Parks Canada, mm-hmm. and um, what they've come up with is exciting on paper, and I'm really, really excited to go there. Um, so I'm hoping, fingers crossed, they open soon. <laughs> and then uh, closer to uh, Banff, Lake Louise area. <laughs> In Canmore, we have, uh, I think, the third founding member, which was the Georgetown Inn. I was just there last week um, for dinner, and they're famous for their fish and chips. And just a lovely, lovely property that has, it's meant to be, you know, old school, English Tudor style, and it maintains that character and charm. They've just finished uh, a room renovation. They've redone their restaurant and uh, kitchen, and um, it, it's a beautiful property run by a great team. And just down the road is Engadine Lodge, which is sort of a front country lodge. Mm-hmm. Um, such a beautiful property. Um um, if you need to get away into the mountains, um, no trains, no no 
no road, road noise, that's really a nice place to go. And what about this Baron Bison Inn? What about that place? Uh, a Baron Bison <laughs> Inn, yes. So, so uh, my father and I uh, built about 40% of the inn. We opened July 13th, 19 years ago. So we're in our 20th year now. And um, an interesting thing is people ask me, Lonnie, how long are you going to do this for? And I don't know. <laughs> I'm not putting an, a, a target on it because, you know, and this, this is going to sound uh, cheesy, but, you know, when you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. And <laughs> honestly, you know, it's, it's the guests, it's the challenges, it's, it's the, the, the employees. And, and I don't know, I, I, I just sort of, I love problem solving. I love um, taking care of people. I love planning events. We do a lot of uh, weddings. And everyone is meant to be different. And, and I, I really thrive on that. I think that's, that's the success or the key to me um, being um, involved and intrigued. And, and I love what I do. And I think all of the owners and operators at the Charming Inns do for sure. It's, can, it's a great lifestyle. Not you, for everybody. You can but, tell by, yeah, your, by the uh, passion in your, in your voice. Lonnie Middleton, past president of Charming Inns and Small Hotels of Alberta and owner of a Baron Bison Inn. Uh, you can check out all of, all of the uh, places charminginsofalberta.com. It was uh, fun chatting with you, Lonnie. Thank you. Hey, so, so good. Thanks so much. So Heritage Park in Calgary has their railway days coming up on August the 7th. So I got the chance to stop by Heritage Park last week and chat with Ben Brown. He is the head engineer, the guy that runs all the trains at Heritage Park. And we talked a bit about the trains themselves and railway days. And here's that conversation for you now. We're actually sitting in, and I want to make sure I got the, uh, tech, the technical term right here. We're in a steam engine. So what are we kind of sitting in right now? We're in the uh, train barn. Can I call it the train barn? Yeah, it is actually a uh, roundhouse. Okay. Uh, otherwise known, I'd say more accurately, as an engine house. And uh, right now in the cab of Locomotive 2023. How many locomotives does Heritage Park have? Uh, Heritage Park has two antique steam locomotives and we have two diesel switching locomotives. And your job as the chief engineer, I mean obviously the title is you're the kind of, you look over uh, everything, right? <laughs> Oversee yeah. everything. The, the, the term railway includes uh, tracks, ties and everything that goes on the rails on the tracks, uh, all aspects, maintenance, restoration, uh, fix on the fly, crewing them, all of that. Uh, and it must be a heck of a job. How many crew members are there and how many people actually just like drive the train? Well, every summer we hire seasonal staff to, to man the train. That's uh, uh, conductors on the passenger cars mm -hmm. uh, as well as uh, three crews, two two members on each crew uh, for engine crew, so we have engineer and fireman. So uh, a list of guys that are on the spare board uh, to call in to either do the uh, the firing position mm -hmm. or uh, running the locomotive. And uh, but really uh, full time, it's just myself and uh, my assistant uh, Sean Gaylor and. Uh, 
Yeah, we are doing the behind the scenes, out on the tracks, uh, in front of everybody. <laughs> Just making sure everything's always rolling. You make it sound so simple. Um, again, now tell me kind of work that goes involved with just running one of these uh, engines? Uh, it all starts with the, of course, there's administrative, uh -huh. uh, all sorts of regulations that uh, have to be uh, followed very strictly uh, before we even put a wrench to, to any nut on here. But uh, for, for operation, uh, I mean, we're pretty much working on these things for six months to run them for five months and then we work on them for another six months <laughs> uh, but it's uh we call it a knuckle to knuckle yeah and uh all sorts of inspection forms to fill out and sign off on but uh every aspect of wheels frames linkage draft gear brake um side rods uh, oilers oil lines airlines steam lines all the way up into the boiler. What's the story behind this engine? Like, do you know, like, where you got yeah. it? Yeah, uh, this engine, the 2023, is a 1942 USRA locomotive, uh -huh. uh, built for the war effort. Okay. War really? And uh, it was uh, set to be uh, shipped off to Burma along with the sister engine, the 2024 that we have on track right now, but uh, never saw service and uh, got sent to work. Uh, one was a, a tourist railway mm -hmm. uh, on, the, uh, on the west coast and uh, one of them ended up working west coast terminals, uh, shunting cars around on the dock. Long story short, uh, they were rescued from scrap. Uh, the scrap line where uh, Dr. Georges Destrube, uh, engine aficionado enthusiast, uh, basically said, I want one of those and uh, the condition was that he had to take both and uh, through a, a, a system of uh, um, say programs or associations uh, yeah. that's how they wound up on the park. I'm at, is that the story of a lot of the trains there you just save them from being scrapped? Yeah really it's um, you know they get dug out of ditches, drug out of lakes <laughs> um, and the work that goes into the restorations to operation, uh, you have to take an amazing amount of ownership that very few people are willing, to, unwilling to uh, relinquish. Yeah. So these engines get brought into uh, a bit of a, a heritage line or a legacy. It usually starts with one person that loves them and rescued them and transfers that appreciation forwards. Yeah, yeah. And that's how um, you know, the, the many that are currently in operation or ready for operation uh, have a very similar past. Yeah, I would think so. Um, do you get a lot of people, well I suppose not a lot, but people e emailing you or sending you a letter, hey I, I have a, a train or a car or something, do you want it? Does that ever happen? Uh, yes, uh, quite <laughs> often, uh, you know, friends of the park, friends of the railway, friends of steam locomotives. Uh, you know, through their various means, social media and whatnot, uh, have access to me and uh, are constantly sending me pictures of stuff they were on vacation, you know, in Saskatchewan, Manitoba, south of the border, wherever. Uh -huh. 
and uh, usually there's a, a decrepit piece of rail stock somewhere, a locomotive or uh, or freight car, passenger car. Yeah. And uh, and they say, hey, do you think uh, you think you'd be interested in this project? <laughs> and uh, but also working with the uh, the other tourist railways, uh, you know, really Western Canada. Yeah, yeah. Constantly, and we're always talking to each other through various means, uh, supporting each other. Everybody's collections are, are as versatile as ours. Oh, I think, uh, but to the layman like myself, they all they, they kind of all look the same. But then when you really look at them, you go, no, that one's different. I can see the difference in this and that, right? Yeah, yeah. there are so many different configurations of every single thing with uh, rail wheels under it. Yeah. Uh, from the ages of passenger cars to the brands that made them, the, the rail lines that manufactured them or ordered them. Yeah. Uh, all the way up into the you know many classes of locomotives so the one we're seeing now uh, this is under um, maintenance or whatever you're looking at over you're saying before we start chatting that the, they're constantly being checked and ob for obvious reasons right yeah we have a, uh, a very regimented uh, inspection process and you know we'll never just fire one up and stick it out on the rails yeah because it worked last year <laughs> and uh, the age of these is such uh, that, you know, we're really looking at uh, kind of a, a limited run cycle where even if everything's fine, yeah, it's always borrowed time after kind of a certain, you know, we'll say maybe two or three months, yeah. you know, little things are going to start to go. Yeah. But you really want to take the time to shut everything down, uh, cool it off, dry it out, and really get, get right into the thing and make sure that your hunches are correct. How fast can this go? Top speed. Top speed is ten miles an hour. <laughs> In its heyday, how fast can it go? In its heyday, we did, <laughs> you know, um, being a switch engine yeah. rail configuration 060, it doesn't have any steering wheels. Oh, I see. Uh, our pilot trucks. Yeah. Uh, that kind of help you through the curves. Okay. So these ones have six drivers, uh, very rigid in a straight line. Okay. And they'll hunt through a curve. So um, built really for switching. Now, when you say hunt through a curve, that means they struggle to go around a corner? Yeah, basically. Because they're not made that way. Uh, bump and correct, bump and correct. Bump really? And correct, all the way through the curve. Wow. And, uh, but for, for our railway, the speed limit is out, you know, back working, uh, you know, on a dock or in a yard, rail yard or short line. Um, you know, you might see 30, uh, 30 miles an hour. Just guessing, we may have been close to 10 miles an hour here, and you actually start to get nervous. Yeah. <laughs> things this big feel like that is still too fast. Well, then it takes a while to slow down, too, doesn't it? It really does. Yeah. We got 120 tons of steel and water and oil. Yeah, it, it really does not want to stop. So you have railway days coming up at Heritage Park. Uh, what's that involved? Yeah, August 7th and 8th. Um, that is the railway's days. Uh, you know, the Saturday and Sunday, we get to show off. Uh, we work so hard to run things seamlessly that a lot of what people want to see sometimes we're busy doing before the park opens because yeah. that's not a part of our regular operation. So for railway days, we get to bring those activities out into the open and, uh, you know, usually to great reception. Uh, where, you know, things like taking on water, 
Um, we have the cab tours uh, after our turntable demonstration. Yeah. And uh, you know, running the uh, uh, the double-headed uh, steam train. You know, from uh, from my experience and, and what little knowledge I have, it's the only double-headed steam uh, train in Canada. Wow. And uh, so we, we lead with the 2023 followed by the 2024. Yeah. And then we pull the passenger train around for the morning. Cool. And, uh, and then cut it off for uh, one running uh, passenger train and then the other engine pulls a freight train that's followed by a caboose. Uh, the caboose is very popular because you can uh, buy tickets and, and actually have a caboose ride. Oh, nice. And. Uh, yeah, it's just really neat the way, uh, you know, uh, the things that for every other day or, you know, we don't really want people seeing that or it's taking away from the uh, the seamless operation mm -hmm. of passenger trains on time. Yeah. Uh, we get to bring that forward and, and uh, you know, blow our own whistle, so to speak. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Ben Brown, head engineer with uh, Heritage Park. Thanks. It was fun. My pleasure. And that is this week's Informed Traveler podcast. Remember, this is the podcast version of the Informed Traveler radio show heard each week on Chorus Radio. You can find more information on the show at our website at theinformedtraveler.ca. So thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, let us know. Leave us a review. Tell a friend. And if you want to drop me a line, my email is randy at theinformedtraveler.ca. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash informedtraveler. Or you can follow me on Twitter at informedtraveler.com.